good day. I'm Martin Webb, and welcome to The Climate Report for Thursday, October 27, 2022. The Climate Report broadcasts and podcasts on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. Today's Climate Report continues our ongoing series, looking closely at the most important parts of the new Sierra Nevada Climate Vulnerability Assessment Report. It was years in the making, and it's the first time using the latest info on our populations, our economies, and our climate here in the Sierra Nevada at what exactly is predicted to take place over the next few years and the next few decades. This is intended to help support people who live here in order to be better prepared for what the future holds for our area. Before we do that, though, there are a couple of local news tidbits worth mentioning, and then we'll dive back in. This will be part three in our covering of the Sierra Nevada Climate Vulnerability Assessment. Well, the report was put out by the Sierra Business Council, who run a couple of operations related to the climate and the environment and energy use. The Sierra Business Council um, is offering free energy audits through the Sierra Nevada Energy Watch part of their program. In part one of our series on this climate vulnerability assessment report, we talked a lot about the Sierra Business Council, who they are, what they do. And um, the Sierra Nevada Energy Watch is a program that they run on behalf of PG&E. They won the contract to handle and manage this energy efficiency program, which is a vital part of addressing the climate. And that is uh, not just how we produce power and use power, but not using it at all through measures of efficiency, accomplishing the same results, but using less energy. So having the same levels of lighting and temperature control, but using a lot less energy through means of efficiency. So the Sierra Nevada Energy Watch program is very specifically tailored to just PG&E customers, just in the Sierra Nevada, and it is only for commercial and nonprofit agencies. So it's aimed at just the business sector. So any government agency, any nonprofit, any for-profit business can take advantage of the Sierra Nevada Energy Watch services, which are run through the Sierra Business Council in partnership with PG&E, again, as an effort to get every business, nonprofit, and public agency in the Sierra Nevada region to use as little power as possible. Well, they're continuing to offer free energy audits through the Sierra Nevada Energy Watch program, and they're celebrating Energy Awareness Month this month by uh, making sure that people know that they're offering these free energy audits um, through June of 2023. They say as energy supply costs increase, now is the time to arm critical infrastructure and small businesses with energy-efficient equipment and practices. So again, as you picture the prices of energy going up, this is a lever that we have control of as locals, and that is using less. So for example, if the prices of energy go up 5%, can you reduce your usage 5% so that it is a wash? And that's the focus here. As energy supply costs of everything increase, Here is a way through a free program at Sierra Nevada Energy Watch to take care of local government infrastructure and small businesses and nonprofits with energy efficient equipment and practices. Um, As an example, they've worked with one um, Sierra Nevada public agency 
on lighting retrofits that are expected to save them more than $15,000 in the first year. Small businesses, of course, can save too. They say one local business is predicted to save $13,000 a year just by updating lighting and increasing insulation. So in this press release, the Sierra Nevada Energy Watch encourages businesses to take advantage of these free services to lower energy bills and become greener businesses who can inspire change throughout the community. Uh, personally, I just don't know how it gets any more attractive than that. It's it's a free service, they were saying. And um, if you or someone you know um, works at a public agency or has a job at a business or a nonprofit, um, you don't have to be someone in charge of these businesses and agencies. You just have to be a champion from the inside in order to get the message up to the top. Um, matter of fact, during my decades of a solar career, oftentimes at businesses and public agencies, it wasn't someone at the top that started the conversation about switching to solar. It was someone within, maybe even a, a janitor, facilities person, a teacher. They were oftentimes referred to as the champion. So who is the champion on this project that is pushing it? So the Sierra Nevada Energy Watch um, is inviting any person or champion at any business or agency to reach out to them at this email, S-N-E-W, S-N-E-W, SNEW, S-N-E-W, which stands for Sierra Nevada Energy Watch, S-N-E-W at sierrabusiness.org. So again, this is for businesses, public agencies, and nonprofits in the Sierra Nevada region that are PG&E customers. So if you're not a PG&E customer, you're up near Truckee, you're in Pluma, Sierra, you're off-grid, then this program wouldn't be something you'd be eligible for. But the Sierra Business Council, we're going to talk about them again in just a moment um, when we dive back into this report. But before we do, one other important local announcement. This Saturday, October 29th in Nevada City, there is an electric car and bicycle show being put on by Nevada County Climate Action. Now, uh, California is banning the sale of new gas-powered cars by the year 2035. And to help those uh, start their research and see hands-on applications, they are inviting, the Nevada County Climate Action Now group is inviting people to come to the electric car show. It'll be held in the parking lot of the New York Hotel in downtown Nevada City. That's on Broad Street, towards the top of Broad Street, right across from the Nevada Theater, the large uh, red brick building on the left at the top of the hill, the famous historic Nevada Theater that does have solar on its roof. Right across Broad Street from the Nevada Theater is a small little parking lot. And that's where there will be an electric car and bicycle show. That's this Saturday, October 29th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. On display will be up to 10 different electric and plug-in hybrid vehicles, varying makes, models, and ages for you to inspect, as well as electric bikes. Many owners of the vehicles will be present, so you can ask questions and find out what they love about their cars. And representatives from the Sacramento EV Association will also be there to answer questions about cars, charging, rebates, and tax credits. This group has been helping people throughout the Sacramento Valley region get familiar with the advantages of going to all-electric vehicles. There will also be a, set, a selection of electric bikes to look over, and you can speak with their proud owners 
Um, they say, sorry, you won't be able to test drive any of the vehicles or bikes at the show, but there will be a wealth of information on many models and the new tax credits available. So again, that's this Saturday, October 29th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., five hours midday there in downtown Nevada City in the parking lot of the New York Hotel across Broad Street from the Nevada Theater that's being put on by Nevada County Climate Action Now. And if you're a regular listener to the Climate Report, you know that we've discussed a lot of the latest information about electric vehicles. Um, We've addressed some of the misinformation, disinformation that's out there. Um, For example, just run run through a quick bullet point list here. Um, Yes, it is true that it does create more emissions to manufacture an EV. It's harder on the environment. The manufacturing process um, does create more emissions. Um, however, um, if that's if vehicles weren't intended to be driven and they were just sculptures in a lawn, then switching to EVs would actually be worse. Uh, the research and the science is showing that in most cases, within one to two years of driving an EV, however, it becomes greener than a gas vehicle. So there are some truths in what some uh, people are saying that are anti-EV. Um, however, it might obscure in some cases the holistic um, lifespan and life cycle of the vehicle, the, the vast difference. So it is true. It is harder on the environment to make an EV. However, once they're driven, um, the numbers flip quickly. Um, it's true that mining for battery parts can be damaging to the environment. However, um, when that's compared to the damage to the environment from oil drilling and, and grabbing that fuel, there also tend to be gains. And it's worth noting that batteries um, from electric vehicles, where the car is at the end of their life, the batteries oftentimes have a second life as storage for buildings, homes, businesses, in conjunction with renewable energy and solar. There is a big aftermarket for second life EV batteries. And that, yes, it's true, some utility power has a percent of fossil fuels in the mix that would make an electric vehicle um, some part fossil fuel powered. However, most utilities are quickly switching to green power. Of course, it's growing every year. And some utilities have no fossil fuels in the mix at all, like PG&E, one of the largest utilities in the U.S. They just sent out their power mix statement for last year, 2021, and there were 0% fossil fuels. The rest is emissions-free during production. That's either nuclear, renewable energy, or large hydro. And every year, more power plants and power supplies being added across the planet. And right now, 80% of all new build-outs for power production is now renewable. And yes, it's true, charging stations aren't everywhere yet. But most people charge at home every two to three days, and most chargers, more chargers are being quickly added across the U.S. Everywhere, we talked about the billion set aside in the new um, climate bill that was just signed. And there will only be more and more chargers, not less. They will continue to be greener, powered by solar and green utility power. It's true, the sticker price tends to be higher for EVs than their equivalent gas counterparts, Uh, Studies show that if you look at comparable, the exact same model gas to electric, the price difference, whether you're talking about an economy sedan, a pickup truck, or whether you're talking about an SUV, the the price difference between the two tends to be at about $10,000. So as a rule, the research and data are showing right now that EVs are going to cost you about $10,000 more than the exact same gas car. But there's a $7,500 tax credit that comes off the top at the dealership now 
state rebates and programs close the gap. And with 85% of vehicles in the U.S. being financed, the monthly cost of buying and owning an EV is actually now cheaper than buying and owning a gas car in most of the country. So monthly cost versus monthly cost, including sticker price, tax, title, rebates, fuel, um, the studies are showing gas is more expensive and pollutes far more over the life of the vehicle. And there are studies that show our grid can handle it. The Union of Concerned Scientists used the latest data from the federal government looking at utility, power, and demand on the customer side all across America. And um, in 24 different states, including California, we could switch to a 100% renewable energy grid by 2035. And not only would we be able to handle 60% more power use from EVs, but the cost of electricity would actually be cheaper than if it wasn't 100% renewable energy. So lots of math and science out there. Uh, don't be afraid necessarily is what the, the scientists are saying. And we've talked about all of these different research uh, and academic studies here on the Climate Report, and we will continue to do so. But there's the Electric Car and Bicycle Show this Saturday. Okay, let's return to our ongoing series on this very important document, this report that was just released by the Sierra Business Council. This is part three in the series on the Sierra Nevada Climate Vulnerability Assessment. Now, why is this so important? And th this is my analogy for it. As I'm reading to you what this report says, it may be helpful to think of this like a doctor's assessment. Think of us all together collectively as this body, the Sierra Nevada region. It's this 22-county region looked at in this report. It goes from Moto County all the way up in the north with the border with Oregon, all the way down south, um, touching past Yosemite and going down towards the Death Valley Desert. And so think of us as this one big body of the, the Sierra Nevada. And this report is a very detailed assessment on who we are and how we're doing and, and what the health of our body is expected to be over the next few years. Now, if you were aging or, or were being forewarned that there might be some issues approaching, you might want a complete report on this is exactly what's happening with you and this is how you should expect your health to be over the next decade or so. So as I read this, it really is sort of the best climate and, uh, and ecology and, and socioeconomic doctors looking at our Sierra Nevada body and saying, ooh, okay, this is what we're seeing and this is how things are going to go. This is the prognosis for you over the next few decades and few years. So this is very valuable because most of the climate research and climate information that we're hearing about and reading about is measured on a global level or continental level or a national level or even a state level. Like the state of California, of course, has done lots of reports on the projected impacts of, uh, of climate change. For example, we talked about how it's expected that over the next few decades, uh, the ocean will swallow up um, about $9 billion worth of coastal property and land along the coast of California. So the entire coast, north to south, the sea level rise is going to make $9 billion worth of property evaporate. And interestingly enough, they also said, but at high tide, it will double and $18 billion of coastal property um, will disappear. But that's only at high tide. 
Um, but they haven't, they haven't really done is looked at a Sierra Nevada specific prognosis. And we know that we are a very specific region. And so that's what's special about this report. If you're living here, planning on living here, no people who are planning on moving here, if you're dedicated to this area, you're committed to staying here, it's really worth it to know what the prognosis is going to be because this area, like most areas in California, is not going to be the same. It is in the midst of change and there isn't any indication from the data or the science that we're going to stay the same or go back to how we've been. So think of this, number one, sort of like a a doctor's assessment. And I'm going to let you know, uh, as we talked about in part one of the series, we kind of described who the doctors are, who is putting this report together. Why are they putting it together? And then in part two, uh, two weeks ago, on our last climate report show, we talked a little bit about who we are. We described our body and what makes up us. And so today's show, we're finally going to dive in into the look at what are the details and the expectations. Another way to think of this report, though, in more of a cheeky manner, is think of it sort of like a Tinder for where you want to live. For those of you who aren't familiar with Tinder, it's this you know, phone app where you can check out people's pictures and profiles and see if you want to go out with them. And you just swipe to the left or swipe to the right to indicate you like them or don't like them. Um, it's very much like quick window shopping. And in this case, uh, you might want to listen to this as a profile, uh, an an online dating app profile for what region do you want to live? Do you really want to live here in this area long term? I'm going to describe to you this year in Nevada of the short term and long term future. And it's going to jolt some people into really wondering what the future holds here. So this isn't intended to be a scary doom saying, you know, my gosh, uh, head for the hills. This is really intended to be informative because if you are going to stay here, we really want to make sure that the folks that are here are well prepared for the future um, that we expect. So let's dive in a little bit into the Sierra Nevada Climate Vulnerability Assessment. Again, this is um, created by the Sierra Business Council. They focus on um, communities, the economies, as well as the environment in the Sierra Nevada, and that makes them a very unique organization. Most business groups and business councils just focus on economy, sometimes to the detriment of the environment um, and other outcomes for people. So the Sierra Business Council is very much into the environment and has recognized that uh, the communities and the economies will not thrive if there is uh, not a good, healthy environment. So while they work on things like broadband and and housing um, and wildfires, they also spend a lot of time um, working with, for example, PG&E on the Sierra Nevada Energy Watch to reduce energy use. But they also have this uh, unique part of their organization called Sierra Camp, C-A-M-P, That stands for the Sierra Climate Adaptation and Mitigation Partnership. It's an engaged group of individuals and organizations that focus on the climate in the Sierra Nevada. So Sierra Camp was awarded a $200,000 grant um, a couple of years ago in order to put this together. So it's been a couple of years in the making. And we talked about the unique aspects of the Sierra Nevada last program to recap for anyone who missed it. Um, The Sierra Nevada region in this report is a 22-county region um, stretching from north to south, all the way from from Modoc County in the north down to Kern down south. 
Um, we talked about some of the unique data points and features about our Sierra Nevada. For example, the Sierra Nevada region makes up 25% of the state of California's landmass. We are that huge. We are one-fourth of the landmass. We also supply 60% of the state's developed water supply. So those are the aqueducts you see headed through the valley north to south, bringing water from the Sierra Nevada down to LA. So we're extremely important to the state. We're not just a a marginalized group of people out in the woods. We're 25% of the landmass, 60% of the water. And when it comes to the Sierra Nevada, 88% of it is wilderness, 12% of it is agriculture, and the actual developed part where humans live is less than one half of 1%. Um, We also talked a little bit about the economic drivers of our region, which uh, most folks are relatively aware of, but there are four. Uh, This report defines the economic drivers as tourism, recreation, natural resources, and agriculture. I say those again, tourism, recreation, natural resources, and agriculture, and how almost all of that depends on a healthy outside. Recreation is doing stuff outside. Natural resources is the outside. And agriculture is growing things outside. And then tourism is largely a result of all of those things. The natural beauty um, as well as the recreational opportunities. So this is vitally important what they're saying here. And it was uh, really eye-opening for me to read this report. That's why I wanted to bring uh, just the most important parts to you, the listener, Because they're saying that the health of the outside is not going to be the same and it's not going to go well for our traditional forms of economy. And so uh, let's then pick up a little bit where we left off. I'm going to talk to you quickly about the top four pivotal findings, the top four pivotal findings, which are very large in scope. So it's like the doctor telling you, hey, you're going to be more tired. Uh, You're not going to hear as well. You're, you're gonna, your digestion is going to be different. So it's sort of these broad strokes. And then we're actually going to say more granularly, this is exactly what they expect to happen in all these different ways to our Sierra Nevada region's body. So some of the most pivotal findings, uh, not going to be surprised to hear, but you might be surprised to hear how they quantify some of this. Um, there is the increased temperature. Of course, we've seen that, but then they quantified it in ways that were fascinating. It says that the temperature has increased in the last 60 years already about one and a half degrees Celsius in our region from 1960 to 2020. That 60 year period, we've already seen a one and a half degree increase. Now, I want to I want to say that there's a lot of discussion on a global level, on a global level about how important it was to try and stay below 1.5 degrees Celsius increase as a global average. What we do know and the science has shown, and we talked about a lot here on the Climate Report, is that different regions are actually going to experience different levels of increase. So 1.5 degrees Celsius is the average for the globe. That means some are going to see higher increases, some lower. For example, the poles, the Arctic areas, and Antarctic, they're seeing the uh, increased temperature uh, much more rapidly and bigger than uh, the rest of the globe. So here in the Sierra Nevada, they're saying that we've already experienced one and a half degrees Celsius in the last 60 years. And in the next 40 years, it's anticipated to do that again. So take less time to add um, as much heat. So there's the increased temperature. Then there's the snow water equivalent 
The snow water equivalent is important. And sometimes we hear about this. It might be referred to as the snowpack. Every April 1st, up at Lake Tahoe, they measure what they call the snow water equivalent. That's taking the amount of snow there is, looking at how compact it is, the form of it, and then doing math to convert that into water. Because you might have five feet of snow one year and five feet of snow another year, but how wet and how damp and how fluffy is it, that will come up to two different results for how much water that equals. So the snow water equivalent is expected to go down. And as an example, between 1950 and 1990, Lake Tahoe averaged about seven inches of measured snow water equivalent on April 1st. Seven inches on average. It would go up as high as 11. However, in the last 20 years, the last 20 years since the beginning of this century, the measured snow water equivalent has decreased to two to four inches. So every April 1st, over the last 20 years, now the snow water equivalent at Lake Tahoe is down to two to four inches. And in the future, averages are projected to drop down to almost zero. So as we talked about at the end of uh, last climate report, the deliveries of water and snow from nature are going to dwindle and get down to almost zero for our region. Uh, doesn't bode well for not only our region, but the agriculture in the valley and Southern California that depends on our water. Because the other thing that's predicted, and again, this is based on climate science and scientists focusing on just our region, we'll see a declining snowpack. Snowpack is estimated to be minimal to non-existent around the 6,000-foot elevation mark within a few decades. So within a few decades, by mid-century, the 6,000-foot elevation mark will have no snow. Glaciers in the Sierra have already shrunk 70% on average. So we'll get less water delivered, and when it is delivered, it won't stay. Um, It'll just rush on through because it'll be hotter temperatures, we, uh, we won't have as much snow. And then the lengthening of the wildfire season. Uh, the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection has estimated the length of the fire season has increased by two and a half months across the Sierra Nevada and that that's expected to continue. Okay, so here are some of the details then. Um, this is what's actually uh, expected on a more granular level for what's going to happen for our Sierra Nevada region. And some of this is confirming what we've talked about before here on the Climate Report. For example, um, scientists, climate scientists at the University of California have warned that the size and scale of our new megafires that have taken over over the last five years are so huge that the forests are likely not going to return. Normally, wildfires are a small enough patch that the larger forest stays intact while the other part tries to regrow. But they're saying that today's swaths of forests that are burning are so huge that they won't be able to come back because it normally takes Ponderosa, Jeffrey Pines, hundreds of years to return to full maturity. And the climate here will no longer support the ecology that they need. So they're saying that the forests are going to begin disappearing. And that's what this report also confirmed. So uh, the expectations for our area, the doctor's report, are these are the, uh, the five things that are going to affect our environment and our climate. Because again, the Sierra Business Council looked at this report in three ways. They called it a triple bottom line. They looked at how it's going to impact our environment, our people, and our economy. So uh, for today's show, we're just going to read you quickly some of the impacts on the environment. And the top five hazards are going to be temperature increases, 
drought, receding glaciers, forest health, and then extreme precipitation. And here's how that's going to impact just our environment. In wildfire, there's going to be a decrease in soil moisture, which can lead to poor, porous, poor forest health. So a decrease in soil moisture can lead to poor forest health and just you know poor uh, vegetation health in general. And then they say wildfire destroys forests and meadows in the Sierra, creating scars on the landscape that take hundreds of years to regenerate or never regenerate at all due to the size and intensity of the fire. Water quality is going to be impacted. Warmer temperatures and less precipitation can lead to evaporation of surface water and no replenishment. And water quality can be degraded. When certain minerals are condensed, as water evaporates, bacteria grows, and animals also have restricted drinking water. So wildfire and water quality. On our next uh, segment, we're going to continue talking about the Sierra Nevada Climate Vulnerability Assessment. We're going to finish talking about the impacts on the environment before we talk about then how it's going to impact our people and our economy. Well, that's all for today's Climate Report broadcasting and podcasting here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. I'm Martin Webb. Remember, today's show will be archived and posted to the KVMR website's podcast page for sharing or re-listening. For questions or comments, feel free to email climatereport at kvmr.org.